This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. All right, first graders, thank you so much for coming to the biz and being great listeners. Did you have fun? Yeah. Did you learn something new? Yeah. I learned yeah. something about deer. Oh, yes. All right, first graders, what do you say to Miss Hagen? Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'll tell the kids thank you. They're eating their snack. High five. Uh, the DNA for me, it's really the people around me. It's my learners. I always say I don't have children on my own, but I have 620 children right here in my district. Those are the kids that drive me. My colleagues drive me. I think the world drives me because what I think about the complex world that we are sending these learners out to is so different than the world that I was prepared for. So that energy is that I always want to keep learning and I want to always keep connecting and networking for my learners and colleagues to make this place, Belgrade, Brutnell Rosa, in this little rural area, to put it on the map to be the best that we can be. I'm Josh Rapoon, and this is the What School Could Be podcast. You have heard the phrase drinking from a fire hose, right? Well, listeners, you are about to have one of those fire hose moments. Fasten your seatbelts because the next hour is gonna get pretty crazy. Janelle Field is the PK through 12 teaching and learning engagement coach at Belgrade Bruton El Rosa Public Schools located in central Minnesota. Yes, my friends, at 10.30 a.m. Minnesota time on Valentine's Day, 2022, when I interviewed Janelle, it was three degrees Fahrenheit in her neck of the woods. I lived in Iowa for a few years back in the 90s, so I kind of know what it's like to live in freezing weather, but I digress. After 78 episodes of this podcast, and after this conversation, I was pretty sure I had met the most driven, the most positive, and one of the most innovative educators ever to come across my radar. Janelle Field, and I kid you not, is a force of nature. In a personal statement, Janelle once wrote, and I quote, I believe that all people deserve to learn in a rich and deep learning environment where we value the learners for their amazing gifts, talents, and needs. I have found over my 20 plus years of teaching that when we build learning on strong relationships and we design for learners at the center, great learning happens. As I continue to move into deep learning here at Belgrade Bruton El Rosa Public Schools, through connecting, designing, and coaching, I have discovered how important it is to look at our learning spaces, the way time is badged, and how the roles need to be interdependent to reach the goals that our school aspires to in connection to what school could be. I have changed from a focus on content compliance to learners being able to problem solve, critically think, and to focus on the following question posed by Tony Wagner. What are our students prepared for and how will we know? Over the next hour, you will hear Janelle make a Shark Tank pitch for micro schools within schools. She will talk about what it means to really value the thoughts and opinions of learners, why schools collaborating with consulting companies can make all the difference in the world, what big changes in the world communities want their schools to address, 
how to develop an innovator's mindset, and much, much more. As I said earlier, fasten your seatbelts and prepare to drink from a fire hose. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that Janelle has been nominated for Minnesota's Teacher of the Year. And now, here is my conversation with the amazing and epic Janelle Field. Janelle Field, welcome to the What School Could Be podcast. Thank you, Josh. It's such an honor to be here today with such a change agent like you. I'm just so excited to be here having a conversation with somebody like you that is really making big changes around the world as part of this What School Could Be podcast and platform. Oh, thank you so much for that. And here I am in Honolulu, and there you are in very cold Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So before we go forward, Janelle, let's tell our listeners that henceforth we will call Belgrade, Bruton, El Rosa, where you work, simply BBE. That makes it easier, okay? Yes. Okay. All right. So, Janelle, you grew up in rural Bruton, Minnesota, and long school consolidation story short, graduated as a Bruton Buccaneer and a Belgrade Bruton El Rosa Jaguar. And you told me you never once thought you would return to your home community, but here you are now living in Belgrade and fully vested in the area. So walk us through the moments when you began your journey back to your home and the schools you were raised in. Like, what are the significant waypoints or moments along that path? Yes, Absolutely what you said, Josh. I never, ever thought that I would return to my roots here in with Belgrade, Brute, and La Rosa. Being a buccaneer and jaguar, I thought when I left, I would never return. However, went off to college, did another teaching job near the metro area. And I kept having it in my heart of what could I bring back to the learners of Belgrade, Brute, and La Rosa that maybe I didn't have the opportunity to do. We're a very strong, supported school. The stakeholders of our district trust us. They support us. They give us the green light to do what is needed to do and what is right for learners. And so I thought, why couldn't I come back and make change to a community that I had an impact on at one time of being as a, as a learner as an athlete of being in the arts here in our, in our rural community. And it was just always tugged at my heart that what I was doing for these other, for the other district, I wanted to be able to come home and do it for my community and my learners and the school that I was vested in. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the exact moment when you made the decision to, to come back that you knew that you were going to come back? I guess I, When I was by the metro area, the decision was made. It was always in the back of my head. It's that, is it right for me to be doing what I was doing there with the kids from the metro area? And they had all of these opportunities, uh, more for things that were happening for after school and before school and the opportunities that they had at their fingertips. And I thought, Mm -hmm. why could I not do that for the learners? back in my small rural community. I just thought something had to change for them. And so it sounds like there was a question that kind of drove that whole thing forward, right? You were just, (laughs) you just kept thinking and thinking like, why can't the kids where I come from have the same thing? 
and that that question is what apparently framed your decision to come back. Is that a fair statement? That's the exact statement because it should not matter about your zip code or mm. where you are located for those opportunities for all learners. If we talk about equitable types of education for our learners, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. So Janelle, Dr. Justin May at Transcend in a letter of rec supporting your Minnesota Teacher of the Year nomination said three emphatic things about you. One, you have tremendous energy and you work unimaginably hard to improve learning. And two, you bring tremendous positivity to challenges. And three, you are always, always learning and growing. So my question is, where does your energy, your positivity, your drive to learn and grow come from? Like, what is the DNA of Janelle Field? <laughs> Great question, Josh. Um, the DNA for me, it's really the people around me. It's my learners. I always say I don't have children on my own, but I have 620 children right here in my district. Those are the kids that drive me. My colleagues drive me. I think the world drives me. Because what I think about the complex world that we are sending these learners out to is so different than the world that I was prepared for. So that energy is that I always want to keep learning and I want to always keep connecting and networking for my learners and colleagues to make this place, Belgrade, Brutnell Rosa, in this little rural area, to put it on the map to be the best that we can be. Mm. So I always feel without that networking and without me growing, there's going to be no change. So if I'm going to be a driving force with my colleagues and administration and my learners, I need to have that energy to keep being part of that, that intellectual engagement of myself mm. to drive my learners and my colleagues. Mm. Was there a moment growing up when you began to realize who you who you were, who you are, like in that in terms of being driven and being positive and always learning? Like was that kind of the ethos of of your growing up or was there kind of a moment where along that journey you sort of figured out, wow, this is who I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to move forward as a person? I was always a driven person. Um, <laughs> Why is that not surprising? <laughs> yes, my goals were always set high, and it was always I always reached for the stars. And it didn't matter what job I had, what piece I was doing as part of my education or the athletics or arts. I always wanted to be better, and I always did not even want to be better just for myself, mm. but I wanted to be better for the people around me and to make those people even better from who I was. So I guess I've always been driven. It didn't matter if I was working at my dad's company or if I was out working with the migrants in the field or if I was helping coach um, the little league softball um, activities, community ed activities. It was always in me of like, how could I be better? Mm. And I always had that image that I knew I could read, I could study, I could do those things. But I think the best thing that I have found is that to network with others, that anytime you're going to be better, you can't do this alone. You cannot be siloed. You have to have a team that you are working with. And that's always how I've always been driven. Mm. You know, growing up, Janelle, here in rural 
Oahu in, in Hawaii. I guess I'm sort of realizing, listening to what you're what you're saying here, is that I'm not sure that any of those kinds of questions, the one I just asked you, those kinds of questions were on my mind. Um, but I sure. but I do realize that over time, because I was very introverted and very quiet and okay. tended to, you know, I, as soon as school was over, I was out mm-hmm. of there and, and went home. I, I guess I'm sort of realizing now that it's the networking and education that where I started to become aware of my own drive, my own positivity, my own desire to learn. You know, does that make sense? It's like, you don't, you oh, don't learn absolutely. those things until you're with others. You know, the power right. of networking absolutely. doesn't happen. Yes. Yes. You, you, like I said, we, we can't be siloed. And especially in the work that I do right now, it would never work to be siloed and trying to do this work on your own. So I absolutely agree with you that you need to find those people to to network it network with. And what I think COVID has taught me is that you can network 24-7, 24 <laughs> hours can. a day. Yeah. Yes. Right, right. That's <laughs> awesome. So Janelle, in, in a response to a question about your philosophy of education, you wrote to me that the foundation you build with your learners is focused on equitable relationships, empowering learners, and making everyone feel valued, among other concepts. So what strikes me is that nowhere do you mention classroom management, good test scores, or getting all kids into college. And I was like, what? You know? So this must be, you know, I thought to myself, another crazy educator on the fringe of the great American education paradigm. And Jenna, I was also reminded of the Buffalo Springfield lyric, there's something happening here, but what it is ain't exactly clear. So, so Janelle, explain this crazy paragraph you wrote about the priority list you established. My priority list, I guess the biggest thing I will tell you that I know that when a kid or kids know that someone cares about them, everything else is created within that system. Mm. So I just, I always go on relationships first. So you might see that, right? I don't have going off to college. I don't have that in there as part of my priorities, but my priorities lie that if we are going to give equitable education for our learners, you need to have the high levels of engagement. We need to have those kids know that someone cares. And when you create that system, those proficiencies, those skills come into play. Mm -hmm. So I just think if those kids need more time, if they need to demonstrate their success a different way, we are here and we will keep working with them. So it's not so much as where you're, what are your, are you going off to, to college? Mm. Uh, my job right here is to create meaningful learning experiences with those learners that are going to give them the skills that will take them down any path that they choose to go onto. Mm-hmm. My job is to make sure that I keep just getting them to thrive on their passions of their interests and honoring them for who they are. And that each one of them is an individual learner on their own path. It's kind of having that IEP for each one of those learners. Mm. So my big thing is to listen to their voices, talk to them. What is it that they want of our system? 
is many times it's their voices that get left from the table. And it is my job to bring their voices to me and to help them achieve what they want to get. And that's not always a college education. Maybe it's off to work. You know, maybe it's a gig opportunity. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is college, but it is my job to demonstrate to them that whatever path they're on, I'm going to be there for them. So I want to take a little bit deeper into how, and I know this might seem like a crazy hard question, but how, how do the kids know, how do they come to know Janelle that you have that priority list that you care that much about the equity and education that each of them gets that opportunity, like almost physically or mentally, how do they, how do they come to know that? What are the things that you do day in and day out that demonstrate that to them? To me, it's about having conversations with those learners. Mm. It's about taking that time to sit down and listen to them, even though our plates are so full and our schedules are so complex. It is so important that we take that time that they see us, like you said, Mm. physically, mentally, making them know that we are reachable. And if they don't reach out to us, I am going to reach out to them and have those conversations. And I think it also connects to a lot when you get to their genius and passion projects also, Mm -hmm. where those, those conversations really start coming out of them sharing what they're interested in or what their passion is, which is very difficult at, at for uh, even a teenager to know sometimes what they're interested in, but trying to give them, like I said, the exposure to, to all kinds of different opportunities. And to me, It's not just giving those kids certain ones that they get to explore that after school or before school or those night programs that we make sure that we're giving, especially out here in rural Minnesota. I got to make sure that they're getting those opportunities all the time. Mm. I also think another thing is to make sure that they are when we're having like meetings with our stakeholders, that they're present when we're making decisions, that their voice is at the table. Also, we've given surveys and they're very honest and loud to us of mm-hmm. what is happening. Mm-hmm. So I think there's many different ways that you can can get to them, but it's making sure that they know that you care and that you have time for them. Really, mm-hmm. what is important in the world? Mm-hmm. It's taking that time. Yeah, that's so that's so wonderful. You know, I I I look back on my own K through 12 education, especially high school, and you know, we don't want to live with regrets, of course, but yeah. But but there are very definite regrets that I have. And I, I recall in high school, probably maybe only two opportunities to have those kinds of conversations with one of my teachers, and which is really too bad. I should have been having multiple conversations, but really it was only mm-hmm. two. And I do recall that there was this one guy, Art Bowen, who was my history teacher in the high school. And, you know, normally history teachers will assign books that you have to read and you're kind of either sink or swim, (laughs) whether you care about what's happening in that book or not. And Art did just the opposite. He got me into Mm -hmm. his office, a giant wall of books on bookshelves. And he basically said, here's all the books you decide what you want to read. And then he walked out of his office and let me just stare at the wall for a while, look at all those book titles. And that was huge for me. That was huge. I turned into a reader. I couldn't stop reading those books. So that's really that's really neat that that's the way that you demonstrate 
to your students that you care about equity is that you talk to all of them, get to know all of them, meet them all where they are, right? I think just to add on to that too, I mean, really, there should be no invisible kid in our schools anymore. Yeah, That I think is so powerful is that if you can have that, that positive interaction with every child sometime and you have to make, make it very, you know, conscious of doing that, no kid should be invisible in yeah. our systems. Absolutely. So Janelle, I want to put the proverbial two and two together and connect some dots. So a few years ago, BBE wanted to reimagine learning, create a micro school within a school, move away from valuing seat time and much more. And you then reached out to Fielding International. So where was your community's head and heart at at that moment you reached out? And who is Fielding and why did you reach out to them? And, and what can listeners learn from your experience, your partnership with Fielding? So we had received a, a Bush Foundation grant about, it was about six, seven years ago. We were at the point where we wanted our learners to have more voice and choice, kind of that surface level. We were just really tired of our learners being compliant where they would sit and get, just like you said, they would regurgitate the information. We thought there has to be more out there for our learners and who can we can connect with. The Bush Foundation, they supported us. They gave us funding to do that type of work. They wanted to reimagine this small rural public school in rural Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Our stakeholders, our community, they were on board with us. They're always, like I said, they trust us. They support us. They also, too, want those skills for our learners, that it's not just all about the content, that we should be leading with skills and the content will come. So at that time, I had met with Nathan Strangy at a Bush Foundation event and made that connection in which Fielding International is a, an architectural firm that uh, designs schools all over the world. And Fielding International, they really look at the way that time, space, and the unique gifts of each child is really looked at. So I connected with Nathan who is now with Fielding International. And like I said, it's that they, they are really into designing schools to help all those learners thrive mm -hmm. in different use of time and space to develop that student agency. So Nathan has been a piece of our work for several years now. Mm -hmm. He would just kind of be a consultant as we were starting to just look at some, like I said, surfacings of voice and choice but when it got down to when we decided that the micro school would be designed after last year's school year, mm. Nathan was part of our team. He, he worked with us throughout the summer to drive the transformation that we wanted in connection with his knowledge was to create an environment for all the unique gifts and needs of our learners. Mm. And, and I'm kind of picking up that at some point, your entire community was feeling a sense of urgency about moving forward. Is that is that a fair intuition on my part? And, and if that's true, then where was that coming from? Yes, it really started to be driven by my colleagues. At the end of last year, they came to me after having learners through, you know, through Zoom with our, our COVID schooling of them shutting off their cameras them chasing after the learners, 
the learner's not showing up. They just weren't thriving. And they said, Janelle, if something does not change in this system, we're not going to be here. Mm -hmm. And these were some of my most, I mean, that those colleagues of mine were ones that just have made impact on our learners. And when they started to come to me and say, something needs to change, then it was my belief mm. that it was time to create different learning environments, just like we talk about with time, space, interests, passions, and really work towards more a learner-centered paradigm. Mm. Because you really can't just try to change little things. You really, I have found out, you have to create something new around that time, space, and roles and aligning them to what our community, our stakeholders, and our school wants for our learners. You know, what's so cool about that, Janelle, is that, you know, I'm thinking about young people out there who who want to be change agents, and you've just spoken to maybe the core idea of what it means to be a change agent, which is you have to listen to the people around you. You have You have to pick up their sense of urgency and move forward with it rather than try to communicate your sense of urgency to them, which is difficult, right? Yeah, It sounds yes. like that's what you were hearing loud and clear and you felt like, okay, I gotta take this on and, and move it forward in the best way that I can. Yes, and we were so, I mean, we had just the opportunity of, from, our, from our administration, like I said, our, our parents, they are always supporting and trusting us and also our school board, that they also gave us the green light mm. to do this type of reimagining, because if you don't have all those pieces together from your learners to your teachers, to your community, to your board administration, you're not going to be able to make that change. So we are very fortunate to have that green light. Yeah, that's awesome. So Janelle, before we go to our first break, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second. (laughs) So you're on Shark Tank and I'm the venture capital guy living on Maui. And I'm listening to you and you have 120 seconds to make a pitch for funding for your micro school. Ready, set, go. I am looking for someone to support me that is going to support me in reimagining our time, space, and different goals for each of our learners to make sure that they have an integrated ecosystem, meaning that their ecosystem goes beyond the walls of the classroom. I would like our learners to be able to be connected with community experts, experts around the world to design their pathway, their interests and passions that they want to go and to make sure that they have authentic, meaningful and a relevant learning experience. Mm. And so I guess I'm going to ask a follow up question to this because the micro school idea is particularly intriguing to me. Why, why not make the entire BBE experience the micro school? Why the micro school, which is by definition a school within a school? Why do it that way? We really looked at after that last year of who wanted this change? Who had the mindset and lens that really wanted to take that risk and make something new? Mm-hmm. And what we did was something that was, I thought, really quite interesting. Mr. Gosson, the principal, and I, we opened it up in our district to anyone that was interested in to create a learning experiences like this. And where it fell was we mostly found that it was in that middle school area where the most change wanted to happen. Mm. And so what we have wanted to do is really make that micro school 
be that foundation for everybody else to be able to learn and visit and grow with us to be able to expand it. Mm -hmm. But we thought that when we were having those conversations, because we really had a lot of people shift, especially at our elementary school, we had some fourth and fifth grade teachers. They were moved down to a primary, a primary moved up. So there was a lot of movement in there. And it felt like that was the right area to put our micro school in. Mm. We had those, we had the right people on the bus, as Nathan would always say, you need the right people on the bus. You need to have those people that have that mindset and lens. And that's where it fell for us. So Janelle, what's, what's so neat about that is that you and I had an opportunity to talk to and listen to Kevin Honeycutt, who's a thought leader in the field of education. And he talked about putting together sort of a motley crew or a or a crew of Jedi on campus when you're an educational leader and that they're the ones who who move forward. I've heard it put in in other terms like a guiding coalition. And you framed it by saying, let's get the right people on the bus, which came from your principal, right? So it sounds like that's what you were doing. Yes, absolutely. Nathan was the one that said we need to get the right people on the bus along with my administrator, Mr. Gossin. Yeah. And that's exactly because you need to have those people that have that that lens, like I said, that mindset to see that school, the why, why school should be reimagined. They need to be able to work together and not in silos to create those interdisciplinary driving types of questions, learning experiences. And so you also need to have also those people that are also fighting for their learners and the why change. Because what I have been told a lot of times, it's your colleagues right within your building that will put a halt to something like that. Yeah, And we are so blessed at BBE to have such strong relationships, even with our colleagues, that everybody is vested also in this micro school. And they're, they're just asking questions. They're willing to learn. We have people, even our own colleagues, coming to visit and check on what's happening in our micro school. So that's really exciting. And I think as much as you had to find your own Jedi, a Motley crew right in your district, those people also have to connect outside the district to find their, their motley crews also yep. to keep this hard work going. Cause this is hard work. Yeah. Yep. That's the pebble in the pond thing, right? Yes. Exactly. Yes. So, Hey everyone, stay with us. We will be right back with more questions for Janelle field. Hey there. Are you interested in hearing weekly conversations with authors, leaders, and practitioners at the forefront of learning and education innovation? Then you'll love the Getting Smart podcast. This podcast amplifies the incredible work being done by some of the most innovative minds in education. Learn new leadership styles, new technologies, new frameworks and mindsets, and get the fuel you need to stay motivated and curious. Together, we can empower all learners to thrive. It's available at gettingsmart.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi friends, this is Toy Hirschman from EntreEd. It is my great honor to uplift this excellent podcast, What School Could Be. As always, we are super excited to support innovation in education. We've been lucky enough to feature some of the incredible What School Could Be educators on our podcast. If you are looking to be inspired by entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial educators and other great minds from across the world, check out the EntreEd Talk podcast and please like and subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in. 
Hey everyone, we're back with Janelle Field, a teaching and learning engagement coach at Belgrade Bruton Elbrosa Public Schools located in central rural Minnesota. So Janelle, you shared with me a Bonanza Valley Voice newspaper article which quotes your elementary principal who you've mentioned already, Rick Gosson, who explains that the BBE community is unafraid of change. It seems one of the reasons BBE is not afraid of change is because of its participation in the Transcend Rural Schools Collaborative, which you initiated and found funding for. So Transcend was founded on a belief that schools must be reimagined using a community-driven approach so all children can realize their infinite potential. So I have several questions about this. So here's the first. What does it mean when we reimagine schools using a community-driven approach? So community-driven approach to us is that it's not just our decisions. We need to make sure that what we are thinking of as in the school district, as colleagues, as my colleagues and myself and administration, if that also agrees with what does our community want? Because one of the big things in our community, Josh, is that I was saying before that most of our learners, they want to get away from our community. They want to graduate. They want to leave just like me and they never want to come back. Mm -hmm. We have a great little thriving community here that we want our learners to be able, if they leave, to also come back and to give us some things that they could really to make our rural communities even stronger. And so we need to have our community members, which are the, the business stakeholders, the parents from our church representation, from our elders. We want to make sure that the direction and our goals and our leaps that we have put down, that they are in agreement that that's what they feel is also important for our communities. So I don't think you can make change. We can't make change without having them with us making these decisions together. Mm -hmm. And I think you also have to look at all certain groups be representative. Like from our, like I said, from our businesses to our families, to our different socioeconomic places, you have to make sure that you have somebody represented at these stakeholder meetings, that they all have a voice mm -hmm. of what is happening. That's community. So why did you decide BBE's participation in a collaborative with other schools would be the best path forward? Like why not save money, Janelle, and forge ahead simply as BBE? We could not have done it alone. And I think the biggest thing about this Transcend Rural Strong Grant is that we are one of 10 rural schools in the nation. And it is quite amazing to see that all of the rural schools are dealing with much the same rural types of problems that we are. And so we can get together with our Transcend Collaborative Group and we can discuss those types of problems and opportunities that we are having in our district and be able to collaborate with those other teams. That is what has built us stronger is that we're not in with a group of Metro schools. Mm. We have this collaborative group of these. We are one of 10 rural schools trying to make this type of movement 
in our small schools for our learners. Mm, wow. Birds of a feather flock together. That's, yes, that's yes, remarkable. So, yes. so in, in particular, why did you decide to use the so-called portraits of a graduate process? Like what, what was the outcome of that? Mm-hmm. So the portrait of a graduate, we had designed some years back with our stakeholders also. So again, our, our families, our parents, our teachers, our business leaders, et cetera, because we really want to build, as we even look at our mastery transcript, as we move to the mastery transcript, is that we need to lead with these skills of these learners. If the skills are in place and they can be those collaborative communicators, those critical thinkers, those creative kids, they're going to be successful. And so we just feel that if we can just kind of get those inequities out of the way and give them opportunities to grow in those skills, the more ready they're going to be in that 21st century learning of what we're sending them out to. Mm -hmm. So if we... We know content is important, but we feel that if we just live on our content, our learners are never going to be to really focus on those skills that are going to make them successful. They're going to be more compliant, check off the boxes. Let's just get through this instead of looking at where are these skills falling in to what I am doing in these different classrooms and the different experiences that I'm having in school and outside of these classroom walls. Mm-hmm. So that's where our leaps are really built upon. Mm, okay. And so this is perfect. I, I want to drill down a little bit deeper into the work that you actually did together with your greater community as you as you moved forward with reimagining what teaching and learning could be all about. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but the aforementioned <laughs> Bonanza Valley News article describes a 90-minute community meeting during which, and I'm simplifying this a great deal because it was a a lengthy article, but really, really well-written, during which the community and school attendees were asked to provide ideas around three questions. And I'm going to ask you to report on the responses to these questions, which I think our listeners will find pretty compelling. So number one, future trends. What big changes in the world are most important for our school to address? So my question is, As a result of that meeting, Janelle, what big changes in the world did your community think BBE needed to address? So they really focused on the area of a lot of time around those uh, portrait of a graduate skills. One of the biggest things that came up was the connection and community. Hmm. So how can we use even our, our businesses in our community to develop rich relationships from our learners, what they're learning here to outside those classroom walls. So trying to get across that that empathy, that foster belonging, kind of that that well-being mm. that they could also bring into our learners that it's not just us educating them alone, is that we've got we've got great opportunities out here in our communities. Another thing was that making sure that it, another thing was relevance. Like, are our learners exploring things that really are connected to our communities? Are they being able to see things that are relevant to what they're, they're learning about? And I would say that the whole child focus keeps coming up because our learners are saying that at times they're not able to be who they want to be. Mm. 
They feel that if they don't fit the box of the rural community, from the color of your skin to your beliefs, is that that sometimes is something that the students really brought forth, that they felt that they couldn't be themselves. Mm. So along with this community focus, we also talked about that whole child focus, is that making sure that our our learners, especially right now with their socially emotional needs, that those are being met, those physical factors, and making sure that their overarching health and well-being are very much supported. Mm. So when I look at what really came out of that meeting too was that those skills again in the portrait of a graduate that whole child focus, connection and community, and relevant and meaningful learning for mm-hmm. our learners. Mm-hmm. That's great. So you've you've actually already answered the second one, which is about graduate aims, and that's mm-hmm. that's perfect. So I'm going to go to the third one, which is you you titled and your community titled it our story. So why do we need to change how we do school? What is the direction we're hearing from our families, young people, and community members? So my question is. As a result of that meeting, Janelle, what did your community say about why BBE needed to change how it does school? What I would say is that they're very, they were very happy with what the learners have been receiving here at, at Belgrade Rosa Public Schools. Yeah. They didn't have a lot of negativity around that. Hmm. But what we had the conversation around is the way that we were taught is not really preparing our learners for what they need hmm. to have in their future. So I guess the conversation also, we talked about, when we talked about different things about like artificial intelligence, machine intelligence, those kinds of also things in the technology area of how can we be better together to make sure that we are getting things that are equitable for 21st century learning. And sometimes that can be a hard conversation because, well, school worked for me. I'm doing fine. But when we really look at what's changing in the world, and especially in the areas of technology and and social media, we need to change for them, for our learners. And we can't just be so much looking at what worked for us at that time. Mm -hmm. We need to be looking at what is going to be working for them. So I think that that meeting really brought out more of, again, that, that why. Mm-hmm. Why there needs to be that we just can't have these kids checking off boxes, just being compliant, just racing for the grade, that we need to have them getting those, those skills to really be able to be successful with, in whatever path. And I think that's what we came away from that meeting is mm-hmm. that that was equitable to get those kids flourishing to maximize their potential even though it wasn't the way that we were educated. Right. And that can be hard. You know, there's this great scene, you and I have both seen Ted Dintersmith's film, Most Likely to Succeed. And there's multiple times, and there's this great scene in the film where one of the lead stories is this young woman named Samantha who just absolutely grows as a person, as a learner in front of you during the course of the film. And, and she's in the car with her mother and her mother is talking about the moment that she kind of wakes up to the fact 
that the traditional way of education, though it might be very effective, turns out not to be the right way to prepare a kid for this particular 21st century moment, you know? Yes, and I, yes. And I've always been very struck by that moment in the film. And I think that's really what you're talking about is that mm-hmm. increasingly your community was waking up to the idea that there might not have been anything wrong with what was going right. on in education before, but it just isn't what is the right thing for kids in this hyper-connected age of acceleration correct. now. Correct, correct. And I think that was the big thing because we still have a lot of industry in our area, right? Yeah. But- how the industry is even changing with the technology that is so much more how what we need to get to those kids, even in a, in industries and companies around here, that higher level tech things. And I will have to say, Josh, it's, it's been very interesting that Nathan always told us that it would take a few months to unschool learners. Yeah. And I thought, Nathan, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> unschooling, unschooling even adults and learners. And it has absolutely taken, I would say, about up until January to really unschool our learners, to have them even see the importance of why we're giving them these types of different experiences. So it's not only our adults that are having to be unschooled, but it is also our learners. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So Janelle, one one more question before we go to our second break. I'm going to read a short section I found on one of KnowledgeWorks web pages. So here goes. For Janelle Field, learning and engagement coach, and Patrick Walsh, superintendent of Belgrade Bruton El Rosa School District in Belgrade, Minnesota, the bottom line about traditional grading systems is that they aren't good for learners. Grades are not good for our kids, said Field. So I'm going to be provocative here and ask, why are grades not good for kids, Janelle? And how has this conversation in particular played out in the context of the Reimagine Learning Initiatives that we've discussed over the last 45 minutes? This is a huge conversation and change that we are making at PBE. Mm -hmm. Just this morning, we were just having this conversation in our professional development If you have that grading wall up, I think that hinders not only the learners, but it hinders the growth of the educators. It seems to be when the learners are chasing the grade, they stop chasing learning. They stop chasing, following their interests and passions. They're just there to chase the grade. I was just in a classroom the other day and I said, if Ms. Field, if I walked in and said, I'm going to give everybody a grade. I'm just going to give you an A. I'm going to give you an A. Would you care about what you learned in here? This was my high school. Mm. And they said, we just want the A. And that's what we've created, Josh. We've created learners that they just chase the grade. They memorize the content. They regurgitate it. And they move on. And it's not at all about the learning. So what we have really stepped back to say is that we want our learners invested in what they want to learn about. Some kids have stopped even taking higher classes, more challenging classes, because they don't want it. They don't want it to affect their GPA. Yeah. They don't want to take the risk. Yeah. No, they don't want to take the risk. So we have really been talking about how, when we come to the crossroads of grading right now, 
How can we get more to that back to that student-centered learning? Mm-hmm. And it's about the learning, the feedback. And it's not, it's so many different ways that they can show their mastery of learning. And I think that will also open up how that teacher looks at also feedback, assessing um, different experiences that they're giving their learners. Because I think in all of this, in this uncertainty of what is going on right now with everything, is that for one idea is that we need to keep our learners at the center. And as long as we have our learners keep chasing grades, that's, that's going to hinder it. That's what's going to happen. So we want them to have that, that love for learning. We want to have interest and passion that doesn't affect, doesn't have to affect that GPA. We want to have them to show mastery of learning in whatever way they want. And this mastery transcript that we're really working on is as they start going to that zero test entrance, as we've been, been hearing about in a lot of colleges, mm-hmm. is we feel very strong. Let's lead with those skills. Let's lead with a mastery transcript where they can also show their evidence of their learning. We were just having the conversation with about how we looked at our transcript right now and how we want to change it. And we were looking at these learners who are part of our podcast team here at BB and our broadcasting team. And as we were looking at, we said, if we look at the old transcript we have right now, it does not show any skills of what it takes to be putting on the podcast and the broadcast for our, our school and our community. It has no evidence. You cannot like connect it and link it there. All it is is a bunch of classes and grades. And we just feel that if we can get away from that wall, that barrier, it's going to open up so many more experiences for both the adults and the learners. Mm. And we are so thrilled to be moving in that direction. So while you're on a roll here, (laughs) I'm going to take a chance here and and squeeze one more question in before we go to break. So Janelle, you know, kind of along the same lines, I find that some folks get pretty cranky when I start talking about college not being the be-all and the end-all of K-12 education. And and so my question is about how this has played out in your neck of the rural Minnesota woods. And I want to reference that the author of the Bonanza Valley News article that we've been talking about called the college thing a, quote, near-deafening push over the past decades, which I found pretty remarkable that he would he would characterize it that way. And so how is that conversation playing out in where you are? The conversation is a really, it's a great conversation. I would say what we are having with, with our stakeholders and parents, because we also have what we call our JAG ways, where our learners are able to follow a path. If it's a, a CNA medical, or if it's an engineering, we have those types of opportunities for our learners. Mm-hmm. And we also have like work-based learning so that our learners are also out with different businesses in our in our community and surrounding communities. And right now, that college push has not been such a huge conversation in our, our area. Because I do think that our stakeholders are seeing that if our learners have the skills, we can bring them right into our, our businesses if that's the route they want to go yeah. and be able to make them successful humans mm-hmm. right in our communities. If it's a two-year school or if they're on that four-way path, we have different opportunities for our CROCAPs, our JAGways, our work-based learning type of opportunities that shows that it's just not always that college-bound direction. That's not the only way. 
Right. And and I love the idea, and I, and I really love the conversations that I'm hearing about the idea that, you know, instead of squeezing in four years of learning how to be a human and broadening your horizons about the world, you know, over four years, how about the rest of your life? Why don't you spend the right. rest of your life doing that? Right. And that's right. What, what we can do. We can make the college thing, the learning thing, a lifelong thing yes. rather than just a four-year thing. Yeah. Absolutely, Josh. Could yeah. not agree more. That's great. So, hey, everyone, stay with us. We'll be right back with more questions for Janelle Field. This is Guy Kawasaki. If you want to learn how to be a remarkable person, please check out my podcast, Remarkable People. I interview people like Roy Yamaguchi, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, Stephen Wolfram, Stephen Pinker, Ariana Huffington, and Steve Wozniak. The point of the podcast is to help you become a little bit more remarkable. To learn more, go to remarkablepeople.com. Thank you. Aloha, my name is Aaron Shorn, a previous guest on this very podcast. I am also now head of growth and community at Hawaii's own Unruler. Unruler is a collaborative mobile and web platform that accelerates innovation, grows culture and community, and celebrates learning. Learners post multimedia, tag their learning, and through comments are able to work together asynchronously. Each post is a moment of learning that forms the foundation of a joyous learning journey. We can be found at unrulr.com. Mahalo. As a What School Could Be podcast listener, I know you're curious about what's happening in Hawaii schools. This is Christy Oda, and together with National Board Certified Teachers, we launched Educators Edge, a new podcast that gathers innovative educators with diverse perspectives to collaborate around a topic of their choice. There's something so special about hearing teachers talk story about the work they do to transform education for Hawaii's young learners. I invite you to listen on Apple, Spotify, Google, or Anchor, or go to bit.ly slash educatorsedge to subscribe. Aloha and mahalo. Everyone, we are back with Janelle Field, a PK through 12 teaching and learning engagement coach, a Belgrade Bruton Orosa public schools located in rural Minnesota. So Janelle, you shared with me a long, long list of epic books that have influenced you over the years, including works by Katie Martin, Tom Vander Ark, George Kuros, Daniel Pink, and Tony Wagner. We only have time for me to ask you about one, which is George Kuros's book, The Innovator's Mindset, Power Learning, Unleash Talent, and Lead a Culture of Creativity. That's a long title for a book. So... <laughs> To you, Janelle, what is the innovator's mindset and what specific concrete steps do you encourage our listeners to take to develop one? When you ask me that question about that, I think the steps that it takes to really have an innovator mindset is to really look and to hold on to the question of what do we want for our learners that is different than in our traditional system? Our job as educators is to provide better opportunities for our students. So I think is take a step back and to look at what is the difference 
between a, what I would say, a teacher-centered environment to future trends of a learner-centered environment. Mm. So I think the steps to look back and to look and go, I always think about those three questions. What am I doing that a learner should be doing? Mm. What am I learning that a learner could be doing? And third, what experiences am I giving those learners to be able to even bring my innovative mindset to share it with them so that they become innovators of their own learning. Hmm. So I really think it's twofold there is to think about that. Really, it's unleashing that talent. And to me, as a coach, as a teaching and learning engagement coach, it is my job to say, hey, take a risk. Take a risk. And if you're going to be able to inspire and give that learner meaningful and authentic experiences, that's what innovation is. Hmm. Take a risk and just let release and see what happens when you do create that types that, that those types of mindsets for your learners. But it's very difficult, I think, as you think about an innovator mindset is because it's really to empower not only our learners, but it's to empower my learners to really wonder, to explore, and to become forward thinking and not just get into like the work that we do, that we come just workhorses every day and that we just do those same things every day. Mm. So if we want innovative students, we need to be innovative educators, which is really about, I think, the mindset is to create that culture of taking risks, mm. giving them the green light, wanting those students to go on the path with their unique gifts and talents. Mm. And it's our job and my job to develop the skills of my colleagues. And then it's also our job to, to develop those as our learners to be successful. And I think to be innovative, again, you cannot be siloed. I think what's, what I have connected with, with the What School Could Be platform and your podcast opportunities and these game changer things, that's where I become even more innovative mm -hmm. because I'm seeing that this people are doing it and it's working. And I think that's even giving me more charge to say, hey, there are opportunities. We don't have to reinvent even the wheel ourselves. Mm -hmm. There are great things happening out here in innovation. Mm -hmm. Janelle, quick follow-up question to this. I just released the first episode of 2022, and it's with a woman named Shiloh Francis, who teaches in a, in a blended learning program here in Honolulu. And her response to a question around the innovator's mindset had to do with reflection and that that in an innovative educator almost by definition has to be a reflective person and i wonder how that plays out in your life in particular absolutely that's one of the things that should be at the forefront because if you're not reflecting, you're not growing. And we've had some tough reflection conversations within our micro school mm. because it hasn't been a straight line for sure. And I yeah. believe success doesn't come from a straight line. But if you can't reflect, you're really not the right person in an innovation setting. Mm. 
because reflecting is always about growing. It's reflecting on how that lesson went or how that day went or what your learners were, uh, were experiencing that day. And not only for us as adults to reflect, but taking that time, and that's one of the experiences that we are really working with, going to be working with with Transcend now, yeah. is we're calling it an experience. Is like giving our learners and ourselves that time to get feedback and reflect and to be able to change from it and not become defensive. Because wow. a lot of times when you reflect, you become defensive and it halts it. Yep. And so that's one of the experiences because our learners are not used to that either. So it goes yeah. for all of us. Yeah. Wow. Love that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I have goosebumps right now. You've, you've hit the button here. And now I'm wishing that I was back in school and I wish I did my school in rural Minnesota with you. But there it is. You know, we can move forward from yeah. there. So, yes. Janelle, just a couple more things I want to cover before we finish today. Mm-hmm. So I love hearing about ways educators give back to their communities. And their service, as you know, often reveals much about people's interests and passions even. So you volunteer for your district for what's called the Color Fun Run, where folks do a fun run and get doused with multicolored powder along the way. I'm like, what? (laughs) So even better, I learned you have used some of the funds raised in this work to begin building a podcasting program for Mm -hmm. your young learners. And I was like, again, what? So our listeners want to know, Janelle, what is this all about? A podcasting <laughs> program for kids? Yes. Um, so I, this Color Fun Run absolutely is one of the, the best days of our entire year. Everybody, pre-K through 12, our teachers, our community members, we come together and it is just really a culture building. And it is also supporting a variety of things from the arts to the athletics to special programs and activities. We have raised close to times $30,000 in our, our rural color fun run. And so we really want to spread the and pay it forward with what we have been raising. And so one of the things that I am just starting, yes, is we have our Junior Jake Broadcasting News. Hmm. And we've been a little slow on starting that this year, just because we're, we're starting this micro school and trying to figure out all of those with getting the time for them to do this. And I just got set up, correct, our podcasting studio. So I'm excited now to see, I'm going to co-create something with the learners because I'm not, I don't want to be the one saying, this is what should happen. This should, what what should be, we should be doing it on. So we're going to co-create some kind of junior Jake podcast with our fourth and fifth graders here in our micro school so that they're able to also do that authentic, meaningful work too that will also go outside these classroom walls. And we are going to be excited for you, Josh, to be a part of this um, (laughs) since you have the expertise in this area to also help us um, share some of the tips and tricks to get this going. But it is an opportunity to have this Color Fun Run to really grow some of these innovative types of things that we want to do with our learners. And because of that Color Fun Run, we can do it. Mm. You know, I'm ready to buy my tickets right now. <laughs> and and in all seriousness, Janelle, why don't you and I just imagine right here, right now on the radio, so to speak, that at some point the What School Could Be podcast will come to BBE yes. and that we could actually do maybe a live event in a theater and we could bring <gasps> yes. some of the some of the thought leaders from around the country and have the students 
do live podcast interviews with them up on stage. Wouldn't that be awesome? Josh, you book your ticket and we are ready. (laughs) Our high schoolers have just actually just, they have hit, they started with, they have like a sports podcast that they're doing right now. And the video, they had 283 views since it was published. And just recently, they are now up to 666 views. So we are, yeah. we are going in the right direction, Josh. It's exciting. Wow, that's really neat. And you know, I, I can also share with you, maybe you don't know this, that I'm an older student graduate of the University of Iowa. So I, oh. I have, I have an affinity. Yeah, I know Iowa and Minnesota. We don't talk to each other too much, but right. you know, but right. but I do have, I have a, a deep love for the heartland and 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 an affinity for what it's like to live with people in a community. And that was a very special thing for me in Iowa City. So, you know, coming back to the heartland would be would be pretty cool. I would love to do it. Oh, absolutely. We would love to have you visit our amazing rural school. Yeah. We'll we'll take the What School Could Be podcast on the road. I've been wanting to do love that. It. So. Let's 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 plan that. Okay. So last question, Janelle. I love ending these episodes by giving my guests an opportunity to give a shout out to someone significant in their lives, someone upon whose shoulders they stand, perhaps. So you identified Nathan Strangi from Fielding International, and he's a senior learning designer. And you shared a very moving letter of recommendation written by Nathan supporting your Teacher of the Year nomination. Mm -hmm. So what are the ways Nathan has helped you, Janelle, personally become the learning coach, the professional, the educator, the person that you are today? Nathan is just a true calm model with me. And sometimes I need that calmness in my life. Mm -hmm. He always pushes me with, with wonder and thoughts and challenges me to continue to make that change. And the way that he lives his life and the things that he does for the way that they design spaces and times, and he has opened up his own exploration high school, that really shows me that he is really living and following his why. So his deep relationship with me around designing for that learner-centered paradigm He's my coach that I turn to mm. of for how I can continue to grow this type of transformation here at BBE. As we always say, we need that person with you. You need that person on the bus. And Nathan, for me, has really helped create those engaged citizens and problem solvers. And he's given me a purpose to continue with my why, even when the challenges are there. And sometimes you want to stop the fight. Nathan will never let me. Mm. He will continue pushing me and challenging me because he knows that this transformation is needed for everyone, not even here, just in rural Minnesota. Mm. So I I thrive. I thrive on that. That's so awesome. I, I love hearing these testimonials from people that I interview about you know, important individuals in their lives. Mm -hmm. And in in Nathan's case in particular, I love the idea that he just won't let you quit. He won't let you take a break. He won't let you, you know, be overwhelmed by the obstacles and the headwinds that you face sometimes. And it sounds like he's very special in your life that way. Oh, absolutely. He just knows how to really facilitate our group and to really look at how does aligning the parts of our school ecosystem 
work for us, even though he works with a variety of schools, he's really in tune to how does our ecosystem match to what our stakeholders and what our mission and vision here is at BBE to really be so inclusive and interactive. And yeah, I just, I cannot say about Nathan that he's really invested also in a variety of networks to try to build the education innovation system that thrives on that human center. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think he just talks the talk. He lives and shows it. And that to me means the most to me. That's terrific. So Janelle Field in rural Minnesota in the Belgrade Bruton El Rosa School District, thank you for spending this time today. You have really inspired me. And I know that you're going to inspire our listeners when this episode airs. Um, I want you and all of your greater community to stay safe and healthy and have an awesome 2022. Thank you for this time today. Thank you, Josh. My editor, creative consultant, and sound engineer is the talented Evan Kurahara. Our theme music comes from the vast catalog of music created by my friend of 40 years, the remarkable pianist Michael Sloan. Producer of 12 albums with over 100 songs, Michael Sloan is featured in Apple Music, Spotify, and all the major music platforms. You can also find his work at his YouTube channel. Michael has listeners in over 100 countries and over 2,000 cities to date. Support these episodes with remarkable, innovative, and imaginative educators and education leaders by giving us your own rating and writing us a review at your favorite podcast store. This series is sponsored by education change agent Ted Dintersmith, executive producer of the acclaimed documentary film Most Likely to Succeed, and author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. Please join the What School Could Be global online community by going to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org or by downloading the What School Could Be app from your favorite app store. The What School Could Be podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Send your feedback to josh at whatschoolcouldbe.org. Follow us on Twitter at WSCB Podcast or at Josh Rapoon. Friends, even as COVID infection numbers decline, stay safe and please get vaccinated. Most of all, bring kindness and compassion into the world. We need a surplus of both right now. Until the next episode, ahui ho and take care.